Hello and welcome back to For Whom the Cell Tolls. I'm your host, Keenan, joined again by Scout the Pomeranian. I'm recording this one a little later at night, so she is fast asleep and you may even hear some snoring if you're lucky. So today's episode is something that I'm excited about, about because I have a ton of expertise in it and it's something that fascinates me a ton, and that is cancer therapies and 20 classic and emerging therapies that I wanted to share with everybody. The main reason I wanted to put this episode together is that a lot of people still assume that cancer is this death sentence and that there are one to two therapies out there that are going to work. In some cancer cases, and remember there's tons of different types of cancer, the prognosis is not as good as it is with others. But the tools that we have now are so much more diverse and can handle so many more of the strengths and weaknesses presented by different types of cancers. So let's get right into this list. Um, some of these are pretty simple. Some of these are complex to the point that I, you know, and, and scientists like me do not know sometimes what's working. We just know that they work. So let's get in with what I called number zero, actually. Cancer therapy number zero, wait and watch. In a lot of cases, cancers are non-aggressive. They're not dividing like crazy but they may still be a tumor, they're just not really doing much. So in this case, we call these indolent lymphomas. Well, and, and I'm going to use the lymphoma example because that's what I study. But indolent lymphomas, a lot of the time, you just wait and watch. Nothing's getting aggressive, no need. And sometimes if you treat like non-aggressive cancers like this, you can actually select for the bad cells that are in the batch of these cells. So you really just got to wait and see. A lot of people can live with lymphoma for 10 to 15 years like these. So that's your first treatment. So number one, and we're kind of going to do this histori- as like as things have come along, so this will be semi-chronological. And the first is what I'd call primitive chemotherapy. Essentially, there's not a better word for it than just straight poison. Derivatives of mustard gas, harmful chemicals... These were experimental therapies back when we had nothing to work with, and we saw some patients get some benefit out of them. And that's why we started with these really harsh, basically, I don't know if you want to call them household chemicals, but just things around the hospital, the lab that must have worked on mice, must have worked on some of the people that they tried these on. So remember, we, when we started this journey, it was very, very difficult. And even next to number two, directed chemo. Chemo is now something that we actually rely on in a lot of cases and can cure certain cancers because what chemo is is essentially a collection of chemicals that really get in and go after cells that are dividing very quickly. And they do this by binding up DNA and making it very difficult for that DNA to replicate. So remember that all your cells are DNA replicating because they're all dividing but the cancer cells are doing it at a higher rate. Thus, chemo, while it's going to attack all of your cells, it's more going to attack the cancer. So don't always be fearful of chemo because a lot of what we have now is you know, highly tested, highly directed to specific types of cancers that we know that it works on the best. But essentially what it's doing now is kind of carpet bombing, yes, your whole body, but at the same time, the tumor is going to take the heavier of that hit. So the next option, number three, is surgery. And this kind of goes outside of um, 
most of the other therapies because this is actually just the simplest way to get rid of a cancer. Just dig it out. And I say that, that it's simple, but it's not. And this is where clinicians really shine is developing techniques like the Whipple for pancreatic cancer, where there's all kinds of different ways that you have to ensure that the tumor is completely gone. And it's one of the most difficult things to do, especially in that pancreatic cancer procedure. But in a lot of in a lot of cases, cancer therapy can be accomplished through the hands of a skilled surgeon. Meredith Gray, right? So next one is our first immunotherapy. I'm going to call this immunotherapy number one. This is just heavy dosing of patients with interferons, cytokines, and other immune signals. Essentially, our first idea of immunotherapy was to just really excite and fire up the immune system in the hope that the cancer would become the target, not the entire body. The issue is that interferons and some of these aggressive cytokines, remember what they do is they excite the immune cells into thinking that foreign pathogen has invaded the entire body and that they should start attacking everything they see. In most cases, what they'll fight and find is the cancer, but one of the biggest issues with these immuno-exciting chemicals is that it can really inspire some terrible side effects, and a lot of the time patients would die of these side effects. We talked about autoimmunity. You're essentially banking on the 10% chance that your immune system, that you'll survive that attack, but your cancer won't. It was one of the first times that an immune therapy could actually be said to have cured people, at least I know that it has in, in, a, in a small subset of lymphoma patients. Number six, stem cell transplants. This sounds really cool, and it is. This is, again, where clinicians and nurses, everyone in the hospital really starts to shine because this is a big, full operation. Essentially, at the end of the line, if chemo didn't work, if certain other inhibitors didn't work, and we still do this, is that patients are given a incredibly high dose of chemo. And it's so high in radiation, it's so high that it completely eliminates all of their immune system. The entire thing is gone. And what they do is they take the stem cells, the hemopoietic stem cells, so these are your blood cells, and I'm talking in lymphoma again. They take those blood cells from either, either you, so that's autologous, where they take it out of you beforehand, give you the heavy dose chemo and then put your stem cells back in because then what happens is from those stem cells and those bone marrow cells, you reseed an entire new immune system. It's still reflectively yours. And sometimes the donor can be somebody else, but it's in, in many cases, it's best if, if it's you. So essentially with this therapy, you re you push the reset button on your entire immune system. And this is a, again, a very blood cancer specific thing because you can't really transport the same kind of thing with certain other organs. I'm not 100% sure if you can do that with with certain organs like kidneys or livers or anything um, if they're cancerous, but I'm not too sure. So number seven is probably the most important, and you'll probably see this the most in, um, you know, in your day-to-day -day looking through articles, but these are personalized small molecule oncogene inhibitors, lock and keys, essentially. So what small molecules are, are chemical structures that go in and they don't hurt normal cells for the most part because they have a certain target that they bind and stick to. And that target is a gene that is driving cancer inside the cancer cells alone, usually. It's usually very specific. So essentially, these cancer cells are driven by 
proteins that are expressed at too high of a level or they are having they have too much activity and what small molecules do is they are specific to that one protein that bad gene they go in they bind it lock to key and they stop its function they essentially freeze it they stop it from being able to metabolize anything to do any of the growth or survival patterns that the protein was normally doing for the cancer cell And these are the foundation right now of what we would call personalized medicine, because you can give somebody a small molecule that is specific to their type of cancer and to the mutations that are specific to that type of their type of cancer. So it goes really far down the line. And there are essentially small molecules, like little, just little chemicals that will go in and find their target. It's really good because now we can target things instead of just blanketing everything with chemo. So that'll kind of come up again just with what, depending on what you're targeting. But for the most part, you're targeting those bad oncogenes. So immunotherapy number two, these are immunomodulatory stimulators and they increase cytotoxicity of your existing cells. So remember we talked about NK cells, T cells. These things go and attack and target tumor cells. Sometimes they are keyed and they're aimed at the tumor but the tumor can camouflage or it can stop them somehow, or it can recruit cells that stop the immune attack. What immunomodulated, oh, sorry, immunomodulatory um, stimulators do is they are small molecules or chemicals of some kind that excite the specific cells of the immune system to go forth and attack the tumor. And they just essentially get them over that hump of, of the... Um, kind of of the inhibitory mechanisms the tumor is either using to hide from the immune system or actually kill the immune cells. So uh, an example of this is leninamide. It's a derivative of thalidomide. And what it does is essentially excites all the T cells, NK cells, dendritic cells that are around the tumor and causes them to turn around on the tumor and essentially get right after it again. So number nine is something pretty specific, and you're not going to see this in any cancers, antibiotics. So in some immune cell cancers and a specific type of B-cell cancer, malt lymphoma, the growth and survival of the cells is actually triggered by a uh, H. pylori, a bacteria that can cause too great of an immune response, and the B-cells essentially start multiplying on top of each other because they're giving each other a signal to attack the bacteria. But what it really turns into is a tumor. So if you treat the bacteria, you can treat the tumor. So... That's where you actually do have an example of treating a tumor with antibiotics indirectly. Number 10, also very specific, hormone treatment or hormone denial, depending on what your cell needs. So mainly restricted to tumor types that are from cells that depend on hormones for normal signaling, like uh, prostate cancer, for example. Sometimes androgen signaling can go a little haywire, and if you can deny that or at least manipulate that system around the hormones and how they're feeding into the tumor, you can essentially tamper down that cancer. So again, a very specific example. So number 11, epigenetic deregulators. So epigenetics is a fancy fun word to say, but essentially all it is is when genes are turned on and when they are turned off. Epigenetics is basically that Every cell in our body comes with a full genome. It has every DNA for every protein we have and everything. Epigenetics is what determines, and the systems inside, what determines what's, what genes are on in the cell and what genes are off. 
cancer cells oftentimes they don't need to mutate or delete regions of genomes for de- genes that they need to get rid of to become cancerous. Sometimes they are, these genes are silenced or they're off, their on switch has been turned off by one of their regulators. So what these epigenetic deregulation drugs do is they target a major gene that is responsible for turning on and off maybe 100 or 200 genes. So by inhibiting a big epigenetic on-off regulator, you essentially change the entire, you know, what's on in the cancer cell, the genome, back into something that's either going to kill the cell or it's going to make it more susceptible to be killed by the immune system. So epigenetic deregulators, very cool stuff, but with this is a lot of, or one of the caveats here is that there is not a lot of control over this. And because when we, when we deregulate one of these genes that's responsible for 200, 300 uh, other genes, and if they're going to be turned on or off, you're going to be turning on some and you're going to be turning off some and you don't control 100% what's good and bad about that. So we're getting better at that, but still pretty difficult. So next is number 12, metabolic deprivation and inhibitors. So the one thing that we know about tumors is that they multiply and multiply. To do that, they need building blocks. They need lipids, carbs, fats, nucleic acids. Sorry, lipids and fats, same thing. So we've come up with new therapies that can deprive them of this and essentially build a better business that's going to take up those supplies elsewhere outside of the tumor. Some of this is done by the patient, by diets, um, certain regimens for exercise, things like that. You can actually deny the tumor what it really meet, what it really needs in some cases. This is especially effective in pancreatic cancer where any step um, can really can help in the right direction. Any step that you can take in the right direction is a good one. So now, number 13, we get into some more. Um, this is something that always comes across as science fiction, but it's a very real thing. And that is an oncolytic virus, a virus that kills cancer cells preferably. So the first example of this was actually something natural, and it was the measles infection. Measles naturally infects cells that are dividing very quickly. Nothing divides quicker than a cancer cell. So measles would often go in and infect the tumor at a higher rate than the rest of the body. The immune cells recognize measles, though, and they would go and attack the tumor cells knowing that they were infected with measles. And so it was this incredible targeting system that we kind of ran into. And now people are actually designing viruses to go after and kill specific tumor cells. Again, the large weakness of this therapy is that viruses are very dangerous. They evolve, they mutate. It's not, I'm not 100% sure how close we are to true viral therapies that could be out there or how close we are to I Am Legend. I can assure you we're never going to be close to that. But... There are people that, you know, are working on this to be, you know, a potential magic bullet. And I'll use that term once in a while, but something that can really make a difference in really difficult cancers. So viruses that go after tumor cells. Very cool stuff. The next, more science fiction. These are nanoparticles, essentially, that are delivering drugs. So remember those little small molecule chemical inhibitors? Sometimes cells can get rid of those. They can pump them out or they can like avoid them or they can have like a shell of things that like border the the tumor away and don't let any therapies in. So what nanoparticles essentially, one of the simpler ways is that what we call a nanoparticle is kind of a synthetic bubble 
that we send in, and we send in millions of them, and inside these little bubbles, which are taken up by the cell, they have all the drug. So these little nanoparticles are taken in by the tumor cell, they explode, and then they release all the drug. And the best part about these is that on the surface of them, they're very specific for little cell receptors on the surface of the tumor cell, so they're not going to go inside other cells. So this is a really great way to target cancer cells in a variety of cancers, solid and blood. So very exciting stuff. Number 15, this is gene therapy. This kind of therapy had a, uh, a big emergence maybe 10 years ago. And this is essentially the viral delivery of a gene that a cancer has knocked out. You know, for example, a tumor suppressor gene that's been deleted. Viruses like HIV, for example, they actually insert DNA back into their host cells. So what people did is engineer harmless versions of the HIV virus to insert new genes into these tumor cells and thus control them and ultimately kill them. So we actually mess around with this now with CRISPR technology where we potentially could go in, send in a virus set up with CRISPR, and it would go in and knock out certain tumor cell genes that were required for its growth. Or we can send in what's called siRNA, which is another gene silencing mechanism, where you can silence genes at the transcription level. So that's after DNA. The issue with gene therapy is that, again, you're, we're really playing with a lot of fire with these viruses, despite the fact that they are harmless in their normal degree. A lot of what we're messing with is, you know, it's somewhat nonspecific still, so a lot of these genes were getting inserted in the wrong places, and... Ultimately, I don't think it's approved quite yet, so it's going to take a lot more time to refine. And to be honest, it might get left behind by some other stuff in the meantime. Number 16 is something very unique, and I have not seen it except in a few seminars and a few papers. It's called a DNA quadruplex. Essentially, it's a structure that binds really well to a specific section of DNA. Let's say that this is the specific section of DNA that's responsible for an oncogene, a bad gene in a tumor cell. What it does is it binds so well that it winds up the DNA in a structure and locks it right at the specific DNA spot that you want. From that point, once that DNA structure is locked, that gene can no longer turn on. So you've essentially shut down a gene inside a cancer cell that's driving it. So it's a great, it's a great idea. It's really cool. I think just the science behind it is still coming up. And obviously, it, I think it's going to be a little hard to control what sequence, because there's a lot of DNA sequences that look just like each other a lot of the time. Next is, oh shoot, I skipped one. I skipped number four accidentally. So number 17 relates to number four. Number four is just radiation. Radiation is, it can be local where they blast the tumor with radio waves and it essentially you know, it fries up the tumor. Essentially, it's much better than surgery for these hard-to-reach places. Problem with radiation is that it gets into the other cells around wherever you're being blasted, essentially. And obviously, that's not great. A new technology, number 17, it has built on the idea of radiation, and that's a proton beam. Protons are highly targetable, and the, the beams essentially can fry up specific cells down to the cell level areas of where the tumor is without harming the neighboring tissue so it's an amazing setup for getting into certain organs that are impossible to get at at surgery chemo is not a great option things like that so proton beams of the future 
They're very expensive. That's the one issue. And we'll, we'll see that's kind of a common theme, sadly, with some of these emerging therapies is the cost. So immunotherapy number three, and this is a big one, and this is something that, something that everybody likes, CAR-T, the living drug. Essentially, a T-cell from a patient with cancer has been taken out and in a lab been re-engineered to fight their cancer, to target just their cancer, and then it's put back into the patient. And not only does it target the cancer, when it finds the cancer, it multiplies and it becomes a whole new wing of your immune system. I mean, this is, this is definitely an exciting prospect. The biggest challenge right now is that everybody working with these patients is having to see new side effects and monitor patients for something different. Normal chemo has certain side effects. CAR T cells have very different ones. And monitoring these side effects is difficult. The other thing is the transition. Taking the cells out of the person, engineering them in the lab, and then putting them back, at, at most, or at best, it takes 17 days, usually about 21 days. A lot of people do not have that kind of time. But essentially what you're doing is re-releasing a predator, the immune cell, back into the environment with every tool it needs to go and attack the specific type of cancer that a patient has. This therapy is exciting because it's given the chance to people that didn't have a chance at cures. And right now, we're hopeful, but around 10 to 20% of people are those that are benefiting uh, the full benefit. And again, cost is another issue. So I may go into these therapies a little more. CAR T cells, for example, they have to be very specific. Otherwise, the immune system will attack them as foreign. But CAR natural killer cells, those are actually emerging too as where you can change up natural killer cells from anyone and then put them in anyone because they're nonspecific. So that would be another cool thing. So number 19, this is, this is a really innovative thing, and this kind of came out of industry. It's essentially a triggered cellular dye, like a color. So in industry, if, uh, the first thing they did with these dyes was they were fluorescent dyes that, binded, that bound to just tumor cells, right? And for surgery, what they would do is inject the patient with these dyes, and just the tumor cells would light up fluorescent green, and then the surgeons knew exactly where to cut. They took it a step further. They found out that these dyes were so specific, they go inside, outside the tumor cells, but nothing else. They actually found a way to send in dye to the tumors, and they're, they're doing this now, it's very experimental still, but when they send in that dye, it binds the tumor cells like, it, like normal, lights up, but then they can trigger that dye to pop those cells and essentially just erase them with a dose of, I think, radiation or some kind of trigger that causes the cells to die. You essentially just melt a tumor away with this super, super specific dye. Very cool. Um, it's still being developed, but it's mainly, like I said, an industry thing. This is not as much an academia thing. It could be wrong, but although it started for surgery, it's now being able, you know, something that's like a true therapy. So finally, number 20. Immune therapy number four. This is the idea of a cancer antigen vaccine. Scientists have been trying to collect the common things that pop up on tumor cells on their surface. What, what are their antigens? What are the genes that indicate that you're going to have a tumor? 
we're trying to vaccinate for when those genes show up. So that essentially, if we could develop a vaccine that could cause your immune system to be ready for any kind of pre-tumor cell when it pops up, perhaps nobody would get certain types of cancers. So essentially, this is a vaccine that's going to trigger on just oncogenes. I think the one weakness here is that a vaccine this specific for oncogenes, remember oncogenes are our genes, they're just normal genes that are on too high, is that I'm not as, I don't know what the side effects just on a normal person might be. But a cancer antigen vaccine that could detect early tumors and cause our immune system to eliminate them, just like it eliminates uh, viruses, measles, tetanus, anything that we vaccinate against. This is where things start to get into the idea of a magic bullet, something that can revolutionize how we do things. It's still, I don't know, I don't even know if it's in its early stages really yet. I don't know if it's something that can work 100%, but there's definitely hope for something like this, because tons of smart people... All kinds of progress is always being made. So look forward to that. I think that's the one where I would I would pin hopes on of not a cure-all, but, you know, something that all of us could hope for all in one sitting. So 20 emerging and classic therapies. Thanks for sticking by. Um, Scout's still sleeping. So again, hopefully it wasn't, uh, wasn't too boring. In any case, uh, let me know if you have questions on any therapies. I can always elaborate on things. I, I do think that I'll eventually elaborate on CAR-T since they're so popular right now. But um, looks good. All right. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Have a good night. Bye.